I am Dr. Robin Roth. And I'm Dr. Adrian Rosenthal. Together, we are the Booby Docs, our Instagram account where we talk about breast health in an approachable and educational way. We are both fellowship-trained breast radiologists who have been best friends since day one of med school. We work together, we mom together, and now we podcast together. This is The Booby Docs, the girlfriend's guide to breast cancer, breast health, and beyond. In this podcast, we attempt to bridge the gap between doctor and patient while having some fun along the way, all in around 30 minutes or less. So without further ado, let's be breasties. This podcast is not intended for medical advice. Please contact your doctor with any symptoms or concerns that you may be having. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Hey, Breasties. It's Robin and Adrian. Welcome to the Booby Docs Podcast. So welcome to episode two. We are so happy you came back for more. We have a special two-part episode tonight. First, we are joined by Kristen Gentile, who was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 35 while pregnant with her third child, despite having no known genetic predisposition for cancer. We are happy to report that she has three healthy boys and an amazing podcast called Making the Breasts of It. After that, we are joined by our friend, Dr. Elise Cardonic, who is a high-risk OBGYN who specializes in cancer during pregnancy, and I'm sure we're going to have lots of questions. So without further ado, welcome, Kristen, to our podcast. We are so happy you are here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So we both have been listening to lots of cancer podcasts in preparation for this one. And I will tell you that your podcast is one of our favorite cancer ones out there. We really love your vibe. Thank you. That's really nice to hear. All right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you went on to be diagnosed with breast cancer? Yeah. So let's see. I was initially diagnosed with breast cancer back in 2017 while I was pregnant with my son, Dean, he's my third son, he's my baby. And I was pretty, pretty far advanced. I was diagnosed stage three, went through chemo, surgery, radiation, went on living my breast life, thinking I was great, taking tamoxifen. And then in 2019, I was in the gym one day and I was doing box jumps in a hit training class, felt the worst pain shoot through my spine and I thought to myself, no way the cancer's back. It was really not even a thought. I thought it was way too soon to come back. I thought yeah. it was okay. It was never going to reoccur. And unfortunately, an x-ray and a bone scan both showed that it definitely was cancer that came back. And for those of you who don't know, stage four is a terminal diagnosis and there is no cure. So I consider myself to have be a healthy person with an underlying chronic condition because I really feel like I'm going to beat this. Exactly. And my husband and I decided to have that same mentality. And we were driving from the Jersey shore up to Pennsylvania every day because it was summertime right around the 4th of July. And he mm -hmm. turned to me and said, I think you should start a podcast. I love it. And I said to him, who on earth would want to listen to me? What would I even talk about? And then he started rambling on and on about all these topics and discussion items. And I thought to myself, I think you're onto something here because it really, cancer is devastating, but it really makes you look at the world differently. And it's such an important message to let people know, to let the little things go in life and really focus on what's positive because 
we never have it as bad as we really think we do. When you really sit and think about, you know, what's going on in Afghanistan with mm-hmm. people being stuck there and trying to get home, people who are starving around the world who don't have clean water, we don't have it that bad, right? It was really important for me to kind of share that message with people and let them know, even though you're dealing with something horrific, whether it be a chronic illness, cancer, no cancer, MS, anything it may be, you can always have it a lot worse. And there's no time to really focus on the negative. It's it's important to focus on the positive. Enjoy whatever time you do have left, right? That's so true. Both of you are such beautiful examples of this term that Robin and I have learned about over the last year since we created our Instagram handle, the stage four thriver, the idea that just because you have the stage four diagnosis, it doesn't mean you can't thrive and live a productive life. And tell us more about that um, that concept uh, and how you came to terms with it. So in the beginning, it was it was very doom and gloom. I was in a very very dark place because, as you know, the median lifespan for someone who's stage four is three years, and I'm already over two years into this. I'm already on my third mm-hmm. line of treatment, so. As much as I have such a positive outlook and I say I'm going to beat this, I'm so scared because my cancer is really smart, unfortunately. I refuse Mm -hmm. to say it's aggressive. I like to say it's smart. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I have good days and I have really bad days. But being a thriver is really knowing that, A, this is something that I'm probably going to need to deal with for the rest of my life. Definitely. And B, although I'm dealing with a terrible situation, it's important to maintain a lifestyle where you basically don't really care about what people think anymore. You go off and be the person that you really want to be without having anyone else's opinions really kind of push you down because you really have to live life to the fullest, live your breast life every day, right? And being a thriver for me is really trying to be as healthy as I can be. So I really try to eat very clean. I exercise every day. I basically do everything in my power to really have the best chance to boost my immune system and fight this off for as long as I possibly can. Um, The cancer's in my bones right now, and we are battling a little spot in my liver right now. It seems like I'm responding to chemo very well. Um, a scan will let me know in a few weeks. So it's a terrifying way to live, but you really have to try and focus on what really matters and what's important. I'll stop there. I feel like I'm rambling. Yeah. So how, how old are your boys now and how has this changed your relationship with your, your boys? I also have three sons. Oh, my um, gosh. So. I have three kids, but one boy, two <laughs> girls. <laughs> Guys, we need to start a support group because we it's totally not easy. <laughs> we will be your, your supporters. I appreciate that. So my oldest is Bradley. He's seven. He's my really sweet, just down to earth, super emotional, good friend type of little boy. Christian is my typical middle child. He is five. He's really sweet as well, but he's got a little bit of an edge to him. He loves to be mm-hmm. on that football field, really pushing and shoving kids when it's only flag football. <laughs> and then Dean is my chemo baby. He and I are attached at the hip. He is just the sweetest little guy. He's our comedian, and the three of them are just incredible. I am 
explored at how genetics really play a role into not only your physical appearance, but also how your personality develops. It's so funny to just watch them grow and change. And my relationship has really changed with them in a sense that the tasks that I used to really not look forward to, I am now forced to enjoy. So for example, I guess you guys can really relate with, you know, like cutting toenails and fingernails is one of my <laughs> least favorite things to do. But I now look at it as it's quality time. And when right. I'm teaching them, I'm really instilling my values into them right now, because mm -hmm. I might not be here someday for them to really understand who I am and what I'm about. So every day, I really try to pass along my values and what's important to me so that they can go on and live their breast lives later in mm -hmm. life and really remember like, oh my gosh, mom taught me that silly song for yeah. when I was doing stuff that I hate to do to really distract me. Just stupid little things like that, mm -hmm. that I really hope that they remember me because Dean is only three right now. And you know, the three-year median lifespan is scary. So three years from now, if I'm still not around, um, John and I also started email accounts for them where mm -hmm. we send them pictures or little notes just so that when they're 18, we can give them the password to that email and they will have a slew of information and notes and pictures from mom um, and dad because, you know, life is short. You just never know. Well, it is very clear that you are an incredible mom and you are teaching these boys such amazing values and Aww. they are so blessed every day they get to spend with you. So you are such an inspiration. Thank you. So tell us what that was like going through chemotherapy while pregnant. Oh my gosh. It was so scary because as you guys know, back in the day, doctors would tell you, oh, it's time to have an abortion. You can't have this baby. Mm -hmm. And I was so scared. It didn't really seem possible. Like, how am I pregnant and have cancer and I have to do treatment? So the doctors made me wait until the second trimester to um, have surgery and then chemo. Mm -hmm. And I just kept thinking to myself, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't feel right. I just can't imagine putting like an unborn baby through chemo if it's technically poison, but you're putting in your system. So I got three different opinions from three different doctors in the Philly area and two of them were on the same page and said, we do this every day. We see this all the time. Mm -hmm. You're definitely not a common case, but mm -hmm. we see it. And the initial kids who've been through chemo while the mom was pregnant are approximately 10. And they've mm -hmm. gone on to live healthy lives with no issues. So that made me feel better about it. And mm -hmm. Some of the chemo was safe for pregnancy and some of it wasn't. So the adriamycin mm -hmm. and cytoxin, AKA the red devil mm -hmm. <laughs> is what Dean and I got together. And at the end of the day, when I look back, I think that him and I are so connected and on the same mm -hmm. page because of that experience. Yeah. And it's funny. I don't just feel that connection with him. He feels it back with me. He is oh, just attached to me. Mom's his favorite. Um, it's, it's really hard to like put into words, but we mm -hmm. do share that special bond and it's amazing how far medicine has come. Yeah. And I feel so grateful that we do have all these medications. We do have all these chemotherapy drugs. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like we're on the brink of a breakthrough where us thrivers can really 
prolong our life. Just like AIDS patients back in the day, they really didn't have a lot of options and now they're thriving, right? A hundred percent. We talk about this all the time. Medicine is moving at the speed of light Mm -hmm. and advances are exponentially improving. Um, We see it not just in breast cancer, Mm -hmm. but in so many different cancer subtypes. And I hear you. We are right there with you, just praying and hoping and not just praying, just waiting for, you know, that not too distant cure. And it's the women and men like you that give me so much hope because I can tell that it's so important to you. Mm-hmm. And I look at my life and I say, wow, I'm, I'm just sitting here updating PowerPoints and Excel sheets at work. And you guys are actually saving lives. That's got to be incredible. So thank you. Because if it weren't for doctors like you, I'd be in big trouble. Um, I really, when I choose my medical team, mm-hmm. I like to build relationships with my doctors and I'm, I'm feeling that connection with you oh, guys too now. And um, I think it's so important and you must be changing so many women's lives. You give us way too much credit. We appreciate it, but you're changing lives like this in such an impactful way just to have other breast cancer survivors and thrivers be able to see you as their role model and an inspiration is just invaluable. So thank you for being a part of that journey. Thank you. It's incredible to get the emails and the direct messages on Instagram and see how people really get upset. Like, where's the latest episode? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> are you posting anything? Um, like your podcast has really taken off. It's got you've got billboards. You've got a big following, right? It's amazing. We do. We do. And I'm I'm shocked. I'm stunned every single day. We uh-huh. are in over 80 countries now. Wow. So I'm getting messages from all over the world, which is incredible. And like you said, it's, I never expected to be anyone's role model. And Mm -hmm. now that I am, I'm like, oh my gosh, I really never expected this to head in that direction. It's, it's such a nice thing. You're, you're just putting yourself out there to really help other people make it through a terrible situation. And then it ends up being, you know, you're on the news and you're on a billboard and it's, it's just crazy how it's taken off. So what advice can you give us for just starting out our podcast? Be authentic. Be as authentic as possible. I often, when I go back and edit my own episodes, I think to myself, oh my gosh, do I really want people to hear this? Are they going to think I'm a bad mom? Are they going to think I'm a bad wife? Mm -hmm. I think it's all about authenticity. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we curse on our episodes and I feel guilty because, you know, that turns people off. But I'm thinking to myself... People really want to get to know us. And at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, when you're dealing with stage four cancer, you should be allowed to curse. Am I right? Right. Do whatever you want. Right. (laughs) Exactly. So I say be authentic. That's the number one rule. And share your episodes far and wide because Mm -hmm. that's the hardest part is, is getting that audience and getting noticed. But I know that you guys are going to do an incredible job and it's going to take off just like making the rest of it did. And I will promote the heck out of you guys as well, because I, I get upset when I see other people in the industry who look at it like a competition. Yeah. And I completely agree. I think podcasts are amazing because anybody can start one. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got a completely different take on things and a completely different message. So I think it's important that everybody kind of team up and support one another. Right. hundred percent. I mean, we're coming from it from the doctor aspect. We've mm-hmm. never had breast cancer, but we have family members that have breast cancer. So it's interesting. It's a definitely a different take on the same 
topic, but it's amazing how many different ways you could do the same thing. Right? Definitely. Definitely. I'm glad you guys see it that way. Yeah, totally. And when you started the podcast, you initially started with your partner, with a partner, Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, you've gone your separate ways. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So Andy and I started together. I was looking for a co-host. And when I was asking around in the community, a couple of people said, you probably know Andy. She grew up nearby. She is also stage four metastatic. And I reached out to Andy. And when I heard her story, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this is a great partnership because I'm married. Andy's single. I did not have a double mastectomy. Andy did have a double mastectomy. Mm-hmm. I went through chemo and radiation as stage three initially. She was diagnosed as stage four initially. So we mm-hmm. had a great partnership because we had very different stories and we looked at the mm-hmm. world and treatment a little bit differently. So I thought it would be a great partnership to really show the contrast in how people get diagnosed, how they receive treatment, and how they continue their lifestyle after receiving treatment or after receiving that terminal diagnosis. And we had some great episodes. I encourage you to listen to them. And once we got close to season two, we just kind of figured out that we both wanted to focus on different topics. Um, So Andy was really passionate about how there is a discrepancy in healthcare for women of color and a lot of other topics that um, my husband and I can't really speak to. Mm-hmm. And Andy's really into sports and a bunch of other really great things. So she went off to start her own podcast, which actually turned into more of a Instagram channel where she shares her thoughts and her opinions and what's going on in her world on Instagram. Just because it's, as you know, a podcast is not easy to get up and running off the ground. No, no it There's is not. There's a lot that goes behind it. Right. So right. we just decided to kind of go our separate ways and we maintain a relationship. We're still friends. We're still, we're still good. Um, we just thought it would be easier on both of us to focus on the topics that are really important to us. Totally. Um, and I guess one of the other things I love about a podcast is it lives in perpetuity. So when you're saying you're not going to be around forever, mm-hmm. none of us are, it, you know, your children can listen to this and get some life lessons from there. Isn't that the truth? And that's one of the funny things where I share stories about them. And I wonder, like, will they be so embarrassed later in life? (laughs) But I think it's so important. Like, we had such trouble with one of my sons with potty training. This is such a funny story. Um, Yeah, he'll kill me for sharing this later in life. But (laughs) he was having (laughs) a problem pooping on the potty. So he would hide it from us. He would come upstairs and take a book off of his brother's shelf poop in it, shut it, and put it back on the shelf. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. He was a smooth criminal because he was basically framing his brother, thinking, oh, mom and dad will never know. Oh, my God. <laughs> and one day, you're like, it's starting to smell in here. Yeah, exactly. Like, what is that smell? What is? Oh what, what am I missing? Oh, my God. You cannot make these stories up. No, and we have hundreds of examples of these, and I'm like, oh, boy, they're they're really in for it when they listen back to these episodes. <laughs> and it's hard, to, it's hard to keep perspective, right? Because, like, in that moment, you're like, how could this happen? Yeah. And, like, what is wrong with my child? Yes, That's and where did I go out. wrong as a parent, right? right. You always exactly. kind of on yourself. 
magic <laughs> ability to constantly be able to zoom out and just like see the bigger picture and know that, you know, this is something that you'll eventually be laughing about is something I think that as parents, we just have to constantly remind ourselves of oh, yeah. because yep. the struggle is real. <laughs> it really is. It yeah. really, really is. We're planning on sharing some funny children's yeah. stories as well. I got a, I got a few poop stories myself. Yeah. <laughs> Don't we it. all? I can't wait to hear them. <laughs> I'm not alone. I've been sworn to secrecy by my husband. He's like, this doesn't leave the family circle. <laughs> Her children are handing out non-disclosure. Got like three Shame. Name bell. Shame. Shame. <laughs> Don't be giving my husband any ideas. <laughs> So you work with your husband. Your your husband is the podcast producer. Is that right? Yes. Yes. We work uh, very closely. He's been in radio for years. He's mm-hmm. an account executive for um, 94 WIP, the sports radio station here in oh. Philly. So he had all the connections in the background and we were recording in a really professional studio before COVID started. And then we had to do something from home. And that's when we jumped on Zoom and tried to figure out how do we do this, you know, from a distance. Mm -hmm. It's been tough. And I know you guys are getting into this now, but, you know, if your guest doesn't have a good audio connection or a good internet connection, it can be really tricky. So some of our episodes, I'm not that proud of in terms of quality, Mm -hmm. but the content was so good and I couldn't Mm -hmm. not post them. (laughs) So we're in a little hiatus right now because I'm trying to really improve our quality as well. And it's nice to have someone to work back and forth with you guys now. Yeah. We'll let you know how this episode turns out. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. So what's some advice that you would give to someone who's newly diagnosed with breast cancer? I would say know that everything's going to be okay. That's number one. Don't let this spiral out of control and make sure you don't take too much advice from too many people because it can get very confusing when you have too many opinions happening. Mm-hmm. You have people over here saying, take a leave of absence from work. And then you have other people saying, no, stay at work. Keep your mind off of things. Just be careful with how many people come at you and share their advice and their own story because Breast cancer is so unique. Any type of cancer is so unique. Every situation is different. I think the people are very quick to to deliver their advice. My mom, my grandma, my aunt, my so-and-so. I think a lot of those people don't understand that there are 16 different types of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And everyone's outcome, everyone's diagnosis is completely different. So take people's opinions with that grain of salt, right? Mm -hmm. And try not to get upset when people say things like, well, let's say you're diagnosed stage four. I have a lot of friends in the community who get upset and say, yeah, but we can all get hit by a bus tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Very true. However, I don't think those people really think through living every day knowing that this cancer is going to possibly kill you at at any moment. And you really need to get your life in order and you really need to think about what's important and what's on your bucket list. And also, you know, it, it could possibly be a very painful, very slow <laughs> death, unfortunately. And it sounds so morbid, but it's something that needs to be said. And I think more people need to understand that. Some of us would much rather go and get hit by a bus somewhere down the line instead of be on hospice and have to say goodbye to people and come up with goodbye videos and goodbye letters. There's a lot of pressure 
to really say, what's my legacy and what do I want to leave behind? And what do I want my boys to really know I'm all about, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm always trying to explain to them how to be a good friend and how to be a good person. And you know what? Grades are really important. Sports are really important. But at the end of the day, you guys really need to be good people because that's what matters, right? And that's what's going to make mommy so proud of you. I don't care if you're the top student. I don't care if you're the best athlete. I just need you to be a really good person and a really good friend, right? I love that so much. Absolutely. How do you how do you maintain like such a positive outlook knowing that like you're living with this terminal diagnosis? Well, the antidepressants don't hurt. <laughs> Amen. Finding a medical team like you guys is mm-hmm. so important. If you can't joke with your doctor, if you can't build a relationship with your doctor, you might want to find a different one because mm-hmm. it is a long-term relationship, as Andy used to say. It, mm-hmm. And she's right. She taught me so much about that because she had been diagnosed probably two years prior to me. Mm-hmm. You're going to deal with your doctors for a long time. So make sure you really enjoy them. My doctors really helped me through these situations. Like Dr. Mate is great with giving me so much hope. He's like, mm-hmm. look, even if this is a spot on your liver, we're going to keep you going for years. You still have mm-hmm. so many options, which is great. Science has come so far where they took my tumor and they sent it to Caris or Foundation One or one of those fancy labs. And they were able to dissect that and say, here's what's driving this cancer. It's not just the estrogen anymore. It's also androgen, which, by the way, is a male hormone. And we can laugh about that together. It's like it's Mm -hmm. a male sex hormone for those who aren't, you know, (laughs) into medical um, hormones, I guess. <laughs> so I think it's really important. Feel really comfortable with your doctor. So they help me through this so much. Um, a lot of my friends do therapy. I'm not great with the therapy because I don't necessarily know what to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to get better with that. I feel like I the podcast is your therapy. That's, that's a fantastic point. That is a fantastic point. I have a lot of friends that I text on the daily who are in the same boat as me, which is really nice because we can share opinions and ideas. And I think exercise is like huge for me because it really gets my endorphins going. You need those happy chemicals um, because sometimes, you know, the antidepressants don't do much at all. So that's Mm. basically where I live. And I try to really have a lot of fun. And spend a lot of time with my boys and my parents, my best friends, my husband, um, my my squad, right? It's amazing. There's such intention in your life, the way that you've chosen to live it. How has this affected your spirituality, if it has at all? Very much so. I grew up Catholic, and for a while there, I lost my faith with a lot of the negative press that the Catholic Church was receiving. And when I got sick and I went back to church, I was amazed that when I reconnected with um, the pastors and the priests, like I just had a sense of calm and I actually went to a healing mass. Um, I love to tell this story. I went to this healing mass because my parents knew about it at our parish. I had no clue these even existed. I thought it was going to be a mass. It wasn't a mass. I walked in and there were 10 spiritual advisors and everybody took their turn walking up to the altar and they said, extend your hands. They would pray over you in Latin. It was almost like a chant. Mm -hmm. People were dropping to the floor 
I couldn't believe it. And then I was thinking to myself, there's no way this is going to work. This mm -hmm. is crazy. I'll do it anyway. So I went up to the front and nothing happened. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, maybe it's only working for some people. Mm -hmm. And when I got to talking to one of the deacons, <laughs> he said, wait, you have cancer? And he's looking at me, you have terminal cancer? You're, you're, you look so healthy. You look so well. It's hard to believe. And I'm thinking to myself, I know, tell me about it. I feel right. good. It's, it's right. kind of crazy. So he said, I want you to try this again. So everybody left the church and they had two people praying over me and chanting over me. And they had two people standing behind me and I'm looking over like, what the heck? Okay. So I went for it again. And don't you know, I pass out straight to the ground. They wow. called me, brought me down to the ground. My family and friends were actually here to see it. And I, they couldn't believe their eyes. I was down for the 30 seconds. And when I came to, I just had this feeling of peace that came over me, like everything's going to be okay. And whether or not it is going to be okay, at least it gives me peace of mind when I start to spiral out of control and I get that anxiety or just anxiety in general when I feel a new ache or a new pain when I'm thinking, is this bone pain cancer or is this the new last shot that I just got last week after chemo? Because <laughs> you never really know. Right. Um, so that's super helpful in terms of spirituality as well. And I'm, I'm really open in terms of other religions as well. I love to hear how other people in different religions deal with this. Mm -hmm. and I'm a huge fan of meditation. I don't do it as much as I really should, but it's it's on my daily calendar every day. I'm going to do a better job now that we're talking about it. Thank you for that reminder. Oh, well, <laughs> we're going to take that reminder too, because we say that as well. The yeah. spirituality component of life just, I think, opens my eyes, at least to the fact that we're a part of something that's so much bigger than what we see on a day-to-day -day basis and what we feel on a day-to-day -day basis. So I love that you had that experience. I did a really controversial cancer treatment back in January. I was doing Rick Simpson oil, really mm -hmm. strong cannabis oil. I, I saw that episode. Yeah. Did you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> we're yeah. going to continue those stories in the next two episodes coming up. I'm actually editing them oh. now. I really tapped into my spirituality then because I was in a completely different realm. That's how high I was on the cannabis. Wow. And I swear to you, there is definitely an afterlife. I don't know if I was just high or I was getting signs and signals from people who have passed before me and close to me. I thought for a minute I was a psychic. It was, it was wild. There's been some interesting trials that have come out over the last decade with psilocybin mm -hmm. and people have and and terminal cancer and people having a very similar experience. It's it's really fascinating. It really is. It's interesting that you're talking about afterlife and past lives because I strongly believe in that and you're coming around to that. Yeah, I'm on the fence, have, but I'm kidding. <laughs> have you read Many Lives, Many Masters? No, I'm going to write that down right now, though. Oh. <laughs> Prepare to have your mind blown. It's actually written by um, Brian Weiss. He's an Ivy League educated psychiatrist and it's his experiences with past life regression and hypnosis. Originally he was a cynic and then he came around to it and the book has really helped me um, deal with some loss in my life. Okay. Um, and I, I think you'll really enjoy it. And that's fantastic because I, I feel like I'm now grieving my own life. 
Uh And my mom was just diagnosed with dementia and I'm grieving the fact that her personality is starting to diminish and, you know, it's, she's going to do a steady decline and I'm Mm -hmm. grieving her while she's here, which is a good and a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's hard. So thank you. I'm going to definitely many lives, many masters. I can't wait to read that. I'm excited to hear what you think of it. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank Um, you. We learn a lot from you all the time. So thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing. We're sending you positive, all the positive vibes that we can. And we wish wish you the best of luck on your breast cancer journey. And we're truly living your breast life. You are such an inspiration to to both of us and to everyone in the breast cancer community and and everyone in the community at large. So thank you. Thank you both so much. And I'm rooting for you. I know this podcast is going to be such a success and I cannot wait to tune in. It's going to be amazing. Thank you for, I think we're officially breasties. Yes, we are breasties. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Kristen. Have a Thank great you. day. You too. We hope you enjoyed that amazing conversation with Kristen Gentile, and we thought this was the perfect time to bring on our friend slash expert, Dr. Elise Cardonic. She is a high-risk OBGYN who specializes in cancer during pregnancy. So welcome, Dr. Cardonic. We have lots of questions for you. Thank you. So besides breast cancer being the most common type of cancer in pregnancy, what else do people need to know about breast cancer in pregnancy? Well, the first thing people need to know is that they should not ignore a sign in their breast that doesn't feel quite right. If you have a lump, if your underarm's tender, if you think something uh, is abnormal that you would bring to your doctor's attention where you're not pregnant, do absolutely the same thing during pregnancy. It's not uh, unsafe to get a ultrasound of your suspicious area during pregnancy. It's not harmful to the fetus to get a mammogram. It's not even unsafe to have a biopsy. So anything that would be investigated in your breast if you were not pregnant should also be investigated when you are pregnant. If the patient's diagnosed, let's say, with the breast cancer on the left side, that's a time when you should do a bilateral mammogram to make sure you're not missing anything on the right side and to also make sure there's not multiple areas in the affected breast. And then you can plan your treatment. It Mm -hmm. should adhere to the protocols for non-pregnant women as much as possible with some minor changes. Instead of doing CAT scans to look at extent of disease or PET scans in pregnancy, we would instead start with a chest x-ray to look at the patient's lungs, a abdominal ultrasound to look at the patient's liver. The liver function studies really don't help you because some increase in pregnancy. And then um, you would do that for staging. And then depending on the size of the mass, you would either plan to do surgery first or chemotherapy first. If the patient's in the first trimester, the only option really is surgery first, and that can be done safely in the first trimester, even with general anesthesia. So if a patient needs chemotherapy, when do you start that? So chemotherapy is ideally avoided in the first trimester and started anywhere from 12 to 14 weeks Mm -hmm. on. Chemotherapy in pregnancy should be based on the actual weight of the patient, not on ideal body weight or the pre-pregnancy weight. So you talked about a a registry that you've been spearheading um, for a long time now. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So in 1997, when I met three patients with different types of cancer, one was breast, Hodgkin's lymphoma, melanoma, the patients felt very alone as if no one else had ever seen a patient who was pregnant with cancer before. So I decided to make a registry so that number one we could connect patients with each other but more importantly have more long-term outcomes on the babies because most of the literature at that time did discuss the possibility of chemotherapy in pregnancy at least for Hodgkin's lymphoma at the time but they only gave you information on how the baby looked at birth baby looked 
fine at birth, but it didn't tell you if the baby would walk on time, talk on time, develop normally. So I wanted to be able to give patients more long-term reassurance. So I would enroll moms at the time of diagnosis, but then enroll their child at the time of birth and then follow both of them every year afterwards. We're such a pioneer. So what has that, um, how many years are we out and what is the data showing? So the oldest children in the registry are now 20. Uh, One child in the registry had their own child. So one of the women in the registry (coughs) is actually a grandmother, Mm -hmm. which is nice. But what the data has shown is that when we compare the development of the children exposed to chemotherapy to children from uncomplicated pregnancies or to children of women with cancer who didn't have chemo, the development is comparable, that they're meeting milestones. And the major issue in children who didn't meet their milestones was a preterm birth. Mm -hmm. So the other goal in pregnancy is to be able to be treated so that you can avoid a preterm birth because if you decline treatment during pregnancy or you delay treatment during pregnancy the temptation of the doctors is to say well let's just deliver you early so you can start your treatment and then you're increasing the baby's risk from a premature birth so the goal is a term birth as much as possible it's amazing that the data is out there and that (coughs) women can get chemotherapy safely totally uh, during their pregnancy with a diagnosis of breast cancer is there um with with chemotherapy during pregnancy are there any ones you avoid or or do you stop when the baby's born so (laughs) we are comfortable with adromycin cytoxan in pregnancy as well as taxol which usually will follow AC if you complete that, let's say, before 28 weeks. Mm-hmm. You don't want to go from 28 to 38 weeks with no treatment, so we will fill in the gap with Taxol, especially if you have a lumpectomy and you're not going to have radiation until postpartum. So we like to avoid Idarubicin in pregnancy. It does cross the placenta more, and there have been case reports of babies been a, being affected by that, and it, it turns out that it is more fat-like, so it crosses the placenta more than adriamycin. And At the present moment, we don't have a lot of information on targeted therapies in pregnancy, and we don't want to use Herceptin in pregnancy. The other benefit of the registry is that women who might be exposed to targeted therapy will get that long-term follow-up on the babies. Why don't you want to use Herceptin in pregnancy? So Herceptin in pregnancy in the first trimester is not a problem. If someone is on Herceptin and has an unplanned pregnancy, there's certainly no reason to terminate a first trimester pregnancy. However, Taking it after 14 weeks, that antibody will cross the placenta, and there have been reports of babies having um, decreased uh, amniotic fluid from decreased kidney function. And so we've known that when patients stop the Herceptin, the fluid reaccumulated, so it was a direct effect of the Herceptin. So you can take that in the second or third trimester. How would someone go about signing up for your registry? The patients can find us on www.cancerandpregnancy.com, and there's our phone number. Uh, We're also on Instagram if you want to see stories of women who have dealt with breast cancer during pregnancy and see pictures of their cute babies. What's the name of your Instagram? At Cancer and Pregnancy. Okay, great. Any tips for women who are diagnosed with breast cancer during pregnancy? I would say that women should realize whether it's breast cancer or really any disease in pregnancy that if they don't take care of themselves to be healthy, they're not helping the baby. That The absolute best way to have a healthy baby is to be a healthy mom. Amen. Special thank you to our guests for today's episode, Kristen Gentile and Dr. Elise Cardonic. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Check back in two weeks for more of the breast information. Until next time, let's be breasties. If you like what you heard or learned something new, please make sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe. I've literally always wanted to say that and share with your friends. 
Make sure you check back every two weeks for more great content. We've got some incredible guests coming up and you won't want to miss them. And follow the Booby Docs across all social media platforms for more of the breast information.